so we are here to talk about what the fuck are we talking about oh we're talking evangelion. about evangelion <laughs> the never-ending series i think it's over now 26 years and it's over yeah 26 years Ooh, not the longest running series but perhaps the series that took the longest to end longest running would be doctor who oh gee oh yeah you're absolutely right holy crap all right, well, welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals, to our hopefully final episode covering Evangelion, specifically the Rebuild movies. I'm Alex. This is Blixa. And we're here to talk about the last of the Rebuild films, which is 3.0 plus 1.0. And what's the subtitle? Thrice Upon a Time. Rice upon a time. Okay, cool. Um, we are missing one of our hosts, but we have a fabulous guest to fill in. Please welcome Alicia. Yay. Hello. <laughs> uh, so Alicia, it's your first time on the podcast. So uh, we like to ask first time people, what's your experience with this show? Like what age did you find it at? Or what does it mean to you? Is it part of your mythology? Uh, I mean... That's kind of a weird way to put it. You know, I mean, it's a really good show. It's definitely one of the best, one of the one of the touchstones in all of anime and was designed to be such. Um, I originally discovered it probably around 1999 when I was running the customer service department for SecondSpin.com, um, <laughs> just snatching up every uh, anime VHS in the warehouse that I could get my hands on at a discount. I think I ended up picking up the original series for like three dollars. <gasps> and uh, On VHSs? Yeah, this was 1999. DVD was like the wave of the future. Everyone was over VHS. Anime was not the market back then that it is now. Do you still have your VHSs of it? Fuck no. That's okay. That's okay. That's beautiful. (laughs) Okay. And are you particularly a fan of the movies? Are you particularly a fan of this movie? I am a fan of this movie. I really like all of the rebuilds. I mean, 3.33 was kind of the the magnum opus there. Mm. But I mean, when you have to tie off a 26-year-old franchise, this is you probably cannot do any better than a 3.0 plus 1.0. Is this like a second version of it? Was there originally a different? Is there a reason why it's 3.0 plus 1.0? Or is that all diegetic? My understanding is, and you know, don't quote me on this, is that it's all regionalization. They had different titles in Japan. And for American distribution, they started off with, you know, the software numbering and the subtitles and really kind of just had to keep rolling with it after that, you know. Very cool. Um, And Blixa, what? You've seen this movie, right? We both watched this movie, right? <laughs> are, are you a big fan of this one? I've seen this one three times, I think. Thrice upon three times. I really, really enjoyed it. I know the rebuild movies are highly criticized, but I don't care. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I don't really know if I understood them. Uh, I was hanging on by my fingernails trying to do these outlines. <laughs> uh, I think the third time I went through it, I was watching it in... 30 second increments so that I could pause and write something down. Ditto here. Yeah. When it came out, I was watching it at work at a nearby liquor store on Amazon. You know, I really wanted to take it in and had to keep pausing it. And yeah. God damn, including today, I'm not sure how many times I've watched it at this point. And I still don't get it. <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this podcast because I was hoping to have some deeper understanding. And I'm really interested in hearing how the two of you viewed this movie. On a TV. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm the novice on this, and I'm prepared to take a weak counterpoint position to your overall positive take of the the films. I did not not enjoy it. the The action climax really lost me, where I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, but the ending was really cool, and I think we'll get to all that. Um, I do. I did write a a last time on. All right. So I guess just do that and then we'll get to it. Unless you had any, is there anime news? Is there, oh, there was something. There was a little bit of anime news. Uh, first time in I think 26 years, or am I off by a decade? Is it 36 years? Uh, we're getting new Urasa Yatsura. Daddy. Daddy. It was just a total surprise to have that come across my computer screen. Yeah. Uh, originally directed by legendary, our favorite, Mamoru Oshii. Mm-hmm. And then who's the who's the Mangakan who wrote it? She's like the queen of... Isn't that Rumiko Takahashi or did she do another Thank one? you. It's Thank Rumiko you. Takahashi. Yeah. She's huge. Inuyasha is her. Like I know Ranba, Mermaid Scar, those are hers. Yes. Rama one half, a big awakening uh, <laughs> series for a lot of people, right? It's <laughs> 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 talking about me no um okay uh that's very cute good news okay last time on evangelion 3.33 extreme ava makeover everything changed everyone was older except shinji asuka and ray sort of shinji was recovered from inside an ava nesting angel by the newly paired buddy cop duo of asuka and mari After the last impact, a schism had formed between management and labor. Gendo and Kozo were now the sole owners and employees of NERV, while Masato and Ritsuko formed the head of humanity's radical militant arm. With three Eva pilots under Wily's command, the stage seemed poised for an all-out conflict with Gendozo. But in a stunning turn of events, Misato stuck Shinji with a suicide collar and forbade him from ever piloting again. An all-new Ray Model 9, or maybe 6, showed up in a very strange Unit 00, which everyone kept calling the Vessel of Atom, for whatever silly reason. Reunited with his sister-mom clone crush, Shinji was transported back into the hands of his father, where he met and fell in love with Kwaru over a transcendentally animated piano duet. After several conversations with his boy band Angel and Revolution number nine, Shinji agreed to co-pilot the most blatant ripoff of Pacific Rim yet. A huge action sequence ensued, which I cannot remember for the life of me. And when the climactic moment came, we had all somehow been tricked again. Kawaru sacrificed himself instead of Shinji, and all three original flavor pilots were reunited for a long walk in the desert. How different is this Asuka? How similar is this Rei? Can Shinji go a whole movie without being re-traumatized? Let's find out. All right. So let's get into this. Euro nerve. What's going on here? Uh, so this starts with a cold open. Most of Evangelion, in my recollection, is in Japan. But, but in this case, uh, our cold open is in Europe, in France, mm-hmm. Paris. Yeah, because we see the Eiffel Tower. It's used as a weapon. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, so I guess our last cold open was in space. So they do seem to like their cold opens. I've enjoyed them. <laughs> but this was the beginning of uh, a lot of confusion. I had no idea what was going on. And there was a lot of techno talk. And I figured out what was happening through... Uh, an Evangelion wiki. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if that's just me with my ADHD or or if there's a certain pace of storytelling that was hard to follow. Well, when most of the exposition comes during action sequences, mm-hmm. you know, it gets a little bit rattling. I think that's a, an experience a lot of people have. 
you have to choose one <laughs> or the other, which kind of necessitates a second pass on the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do my best to tell you what I gathered, what was happening. Um, <laughs> uh, Misato's gang, they're trying to salvage Evangelion parts from a base mm-hmm. and they had to activate these like sort of beacons that was going to push the red stuff away uh, and make it safe. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it was so strange. Misato seemed to have a lot of repurposed Evangelion gear for her battleships and Gendo seemed to have mm-hmm. a lot of repurposed angel parts. His armada seemed to be like Frankenstein angel stuff. And a lot of those parts looked very Ava as well, right? Like the the marching batteries, the legs and torsos kind of look just like Ava's. So again, it's blurring the lines further between like the enemy's technology and our technology or Ava's and angels or even like monsters and heroes, right? Mm. So I, I did enjoy the really exotic mech stuff. The other thing that struck me is it seemed like uh, a sort of chess game that not Misato, who's her second Ritsuka? Ritsuko? Ritsuko, and she was trying to intuit what Kozo Mm -hmm. um, was designing. Yeah, because Kozo's the geneticist, so we assume he's the one who is designing these new weapons. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of things are said that I didn't understand at the time, but they sort of become clear later, like this anti-L system, the ceiling Mm -hmm. pillars... And then the other thing that seemed interesting was like uh, some of the the flight crew, no, no, uh, the command crew from Misato on her main ship were wearing plug suits and remotely controlling some of the combat systems. So I guess maybe that spoke to more of like the repurposing of Ava Tech that uh, some of the battle crew had to wear plug suits to engage with their systems. So that was, I thought that was neat. We don't do the Ava battery countdown anymore, which comes from like an Ultraman tradition, and that's cool. Uh, but in, now that we've gotten rid of that, they thankfully were so generous, and they're like, well, we'll have this countdown for the anti-L system instead, which was really cute. But the main action beat is uh, Mari in this, as you said, like this exotic mech stuff. So she's like missing arms on her Ava. It's all bandaged up, right? And then she has like maybe these construction arms, which are fitted with anti-aircraft guns. Like it's a very wild setup. But I wanted to ask, what are you pro Mari, anti Mari? How does everybody feel about this Mari character? I I know that Mari is widely hated. I love Mari though. I can't help it. What do you like about Mari? Why is she compelling? It might just be that if everyone hates Mari, then I automatically have to like Mari. <laughs> okay. I guess the criticism is that Mari is just a fan service creation mm. and just shoehorned in to make the series more popular. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not my opinion. I can see why someone would say that, though. Uh, uh, Alicia, Mari, pro-Mari, anti-Mari. Well, first off, even if you've seen it, a lot of people don't realize that she originally appeared in the video game RPG. Oh, for, uh, is it PlayStation 2? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, That was the the first appearance of the character. If we're asking how I feel about her, I feel pretty fucking great about her. (laughs) She makes machine gun noises while fucking blasting (laughs) humans out of the sky at the beginning. And she sniffs people. And 
It's just, I relate so much to fucking everything <laughs> about her. You know, people have always had that argument about who the best girl is mm-hmm. in this series. You know, is it Asuka? Is it Ray? Is it Masato? Creepy. <laughs> but really, everybody in the original Evangelion kind of has emotional issues that they haven't confronted or dealt with. Mm-hmm. But uh, the only person who's, you know, lacking in that, and people call it a lack of character development. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a lot of room to develop Mari's character. Um, And that's not the important thing about her. The important thing about her is she's not as sick in the head as everybody else in the show. Mm. And that's what ends up rendering her the best girl at the end. Mm. I like that. She's the only emotionally healthy partner for Shinji, really. Mm. Because she does get, unlike the other characters, (laughs) dropped into the series, right? Like you said, with less baggage. Mm. One thing I thought was interesting about Mari is that I'm sure, you know, a lot of the fan base of Evangelion thought to be young men, right? Like it's, it's, it, it, it is a shonen, shoujo, what, what is the proper thing? Shonen? I, I wouldn't say that it, it's a, it's a shonen. Okay. Um, because like you mentioned Ultraman earlier, it does draw heavily from a lot of the, you know, kaiju giant robot traditions. Totally. Gosh, there is a specific genre title for it. Like uh, like a, a sign-in, like for a slightly older crowd. Okay, cool. So anyways, kind of marketed or thought to be for uh, 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 young men, but the subjects are often, just like Darling and the Franks, right? The subjects are often things that young men could definitely stand to hear, mm. but not something that's really exclusive to them. And so I think that Mari is kind of a, not just a fan service thing, but a fan dumped into the series. Someone who would be excited to be in these mechs, right? Mm. Um, which is pretty cool. It is cool to see that perspective because it's so positive. Yeah. So I, I don't have a lot of basis for my other theory, but I'll say it anyway. I, I feel like a lot of these characters are sort of uh, Hideaki Anno's archetypes. They're like aspects of himself in that so many years after the series, creating the rebuilds, I suspect Anno has done a lot of emotional work on himself mm-hmm. and he's not the same Anno that we saw for the series uh, so maybe there's this new archetype within him that's going to be crashing into this earlier work of his i would agree with that very strongly and there's a lot of stuff to support that really oh thank you and in a series that has a lot of strong female characters but a lot of them have like suppressed feminine personality traits to mm-hmm. get by in this like really harsh environment it is nice to see someone who is just a little more blatantly feminine. You know what I mean? Mm. And I have an interesting side note um, regarding Mari as well, which is that they had actually experimented, apparently. Um, Hideki Anno had considered different backstories for her, And the one that he considers headcanon himself, apparently, uh, was the idea that she is a big animal girl to the extent that under her plug suit, she has tattoos of her pets. Aww. So, I mean, that's just the way I see her, you know? I love it. That's really cute. <laughs> so she wrecks all of these angels. She wrecks the decoy drone things. And then with a little bit of help from some fanned out battleships, she just like destroys this big cannon with the Eiffel Tower. So Mari is a very efficient pilot, apparently. Mm-hmm. They get everything done right. And then, and then what happens? We go to Masato? Yeah, the action scene calms down and we get more. Uh, to me, it didn't really feel like exposition. 
it felt a little more natural. Uh, but this is where it's revealed what this whole opening scene is about. Misat, Misato mm-hmm. wanted to get all the parts she needed to build a new unit too. Uh, unit eight is getting an upgrade. Uh, presumably their their ships are going to get repaired or something. Mm-hmm. And then it comes off a little bit sinister. We have Mari almost talking to the camera uh, and is very fixated on Shinji. <laughs> and she's going to find Shinji no matter where he is. Didn't really know what that meant at the time or where that was coming from, but it seemed important. And then it turned out to really not be kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Mari's connected to Shinji somehow, right? I mean, she's like in love with him, sort of. Definitely, yeah. But Mari is still a human. She's not like Kawaru or Rei that are part Mm, angel. I don't think so. I think diegetically she is a regular person. Okay. Well, but I, I do have my theories about Mari. I mean, they, they do state at one point in this particular film that they do need to be either created or programmed. Mm, okay. I missed that. I do remember something in, in the second movie, uh, Asuka was saying something that would have suggested um, that the pilots are either created or altered in an artificial way. So I think that's our opening. Mm-hmm. At this point, we get our opening credits. Uh, And this was a fun surprise for me. I'm really into the musical aspects of anime. And with Evangelion specifically, I'm used to already existing like classical works being used in the show. And maybe that's what this is. I don't know classical music very well, but it's uh, Tema Principal. It's a really beautiful orchestral piece at the beginning. And uh, I just really liked going from the high action to this sort of ambient scene for our opening credits of uh, Shinji Asuka and Rei sort of walking the earth. And we get to see, gosh, how vastly different uh, the planet is now. Yeah, a lot of destruction. Yeah, uh, a lot of the imagery, it did remind me of like Ghibli stuff, Uh, you know, giant Ava parts everywhere. Uh, yeah, like the landscapes are littered with them, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the landscapes just seem to be thousands of Ava corpses. Mm-hmm. Really striking imagery. The things that stuck out to me was like there was floating body parts. There was like headless Avas mm-hmm. walking around and something that looked like translucent Avas or something. Mm. It was strange. And a lot of it was like really quick flashes too. Yeah, this is our check-in with, Mm. and actually where we spend, oh my gosh, so much of the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, We check in with our three original flavor pilots, Shinji, Rei, Asuka. Asuka comes into town and is like, I hang out with, uh, what's his name now? Not Toji, Kensuke? Kensuke. I hang out with him now. That's what I do. And I protect this place. And Rei is like, what does it mean to be human? And Shinji has PTSD and no one understands that. Yeah, this is another really disorienting section. Uh, at this point, we really feel the passage of 14 years because they're adults now. Yeah. And like, not just like older, like real adults, right? They're competent. They have responsibilities. They are reliable. Wait, is that what adults are supposed to do? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kaji is married with a, with a baby and taking care of an elderly father. But just in my world, I just assume everyone knows and understands PTSD, but I guess that's not really reality. No, and Toji is like the closest 
thing to a doctor in the town, right? Yeah. Uh, he even says like, that's why we get to live in our own house because I kind of have an important position, but there's no psychologist in the town. Mm. You know, we, we spend our, we spend a lot of societal time looking at people's bodies to make sure they work and we don't spend as many resources or at least the resources are much more scarce to make sure that their minds are working well. Mm-hmm. So and the reaction to Ray was interesting. They make no bones about her being a clone and just explicitly call her lookalike. And we also get more insight on just how sheltered her existence is. She's never seen a cat or a baby, has no concept of cute or work or bathing. That's a bummer. Or hand-holding or goodbye, Mm. which is important later. I would assume that she just bathes in the LCL. Sure. Uh, That's her world. I think Ray and Asuka are both taken more towards the extreme of the personality traits they had in the series. You know, Ray was pretty sheltered in the series, but now she doesn't know basic concepts, right? She's mm-hmm. a lot like the uh, the parasites in Franks. Mm. Uh, and Asuka is, you know, conversely, like, ultra confident in herself. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's like, oh, I'm covering up everything. Now she, like, has her doll, has her hurt, and that's what powers her. Yeah, so this brings us to probably where my perception is going to be an unpopular opinion. Uh, So Shinji cannot function in Toji's place with a baby because he's got pretty intrusive PTSD, and it's decided that he will go stay with Kensuke, where Asuka is also going to be staying. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not really said explicitly, but just by the way the scene plays out, my feeling was that Asuka and Kensuke already know each other. Maybe this is Asuka's home away from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's very much at home here. She's walking around naked. So this is where the first thought would be, oh, explicit fan service. And I'm looking at this and I don't see the usual trimmings that go along with fan service. And Asuka is not really carrying herself as the, you know, waifu pixie manic dream girl. She's um, not striking sexualized poses and not projecting any aspect of a personality that would be like the fan service personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just very cold and abrasive and aggressive. To me, the nudity is saying something else. I don't know what it's saying. And I also just wondered if like, it felt like um, maybe Kensuke was gay. I, I don't remember exactly why I thought that, but Asuka was there as just part of his cover. Man, I I did not think that at all. I thought that maybe Kensuke and Asuka were sleeping together. Okay. I, I didn't feel any romantic vibes, and it didn't seem like Asuka's nudity affected Kensuke at all. Like, that, like Asuka is not his type. Oh, well, I, I thought that maybe they were comfortable with one another, and that's why it didn't phase him. Like you said, like, she's been around here a bunch. Sure. Anyway, I, I don't have a lot of ground to stand on. That was just the impression I got. I kind of feel like I get that impression, too. I hadn't really thought about it, but there's just like a lot of distance, you know, mm-hmm. between it, the two of them. She's naked, but there's no intimacy. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead. We, Do it. We, we, we see Shinji having this violent reaction to seeing Asuka's collar, of course, because Shinji's love interest died from this explosive collar. Yeah. And Asuka starts wearing a scarf to cover the collar. And again, they don't say it after Shinji's first extreme reaction. He, he started vomiting and she uh, reprimanded him for it. But in the next scene, she's got it covered and it's covered for the rest of the time. Yeah. 
This is a, that feels like a very different Asuka to me. Oh yeah, totally. Someone who just does what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, says her piece about it, but when it comes down to it, she makes the adult decision. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she did have 14 years to like, you know, grow as a person. I mean, she wasn't <laughs> in suspended animation in space like Shinji, you know, she just stopped aging, but has continued to mature. So it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, right. that's true. So like, unlike Shinji and Ray, Ray got reset. Shinji was suspended. So like, she actually has a unique position among them. Yeah, that's cool. So much like Anno, she may have done a lot of emotional work. Yeah. So as Alicia mentioned, uh, there's these other concepts that, uh, right. Well, are we supposed to say Ray or are we supposed to say uh, lookalike? Lookalike? Yeah. I don't know. It's Ray. It's Ayanami. <laughs> I mean, I still think it's it's a Ray. It's the incarnation of Ray we're dealing with right mm-hmm. now. So she had no concept of goodbye. Uh, it has to get explained to her something that we say, hoping we will see each other again. She has no concept of like the significance of holding hands and it's explained something we do hoping we can get along that becomes important later. And Ray lookalike goes to a mobile library and this felt like a nod to the series. There's a child that gives her the book Ochibi and the Porcupine. Uh, I immediately thought of Porcupine's Dilemma. Sure. And this seemed like, you know, we're in this sort of slice of life phase for this story. And maybe in some sense, they're all having dealing with their own porcupine's dilemma. Like, are they going to connect with other people in our like momentary slice of life or retreat? (laughs) Totally. And I guess that's what Shinji does. Shinji stays isolated and is as brief as possible with everyone that comes to visit. Well, you know, this would be a good point to mention as well that after... 3.33, 3.33, Hideki Anno fell into a deep depression again. Mm-hmm. So I think Shinji at the beginning of this is definitely definitely a stand-in for what he was going through between the two pieces. Mm. Um, I think he was quoted as saying that working on 3.33 um, broke him. Mm. Mm. So it definitely bears mentioning that you know Shinji's recovery at the beginning of this was sort of an emotional surrogate for what Hideki Anno was going through. Well, I'm glad this is coming up. Um, I guess that we can get a little bit personal. So when I had depression, the people around me didn't really know what to do. They didn't know how to act. So they just generally tried to act normal, like nothing was happening. And I understand they had the best intentions, but that itself felt kind of isolating because it felt like being invisible in a room full of people. Like I have something bad happened and it's not being acknowledged. Everyone's yeah. making small talk about babies and what's for dinner tonight. So that scene in particular, I wondered if that was like one of Anno's real lived experiences. Seems like a pretty specific picture that was getting painted. So in terms of dealing with a lot of stuff, uh, we also get to see how Asuka is faring. Uh, she still talks to her doll. Um, she's still lamenting being alone. She's still pushing people away in a certain way. And I guess, I don't know if this was another thing that I just read too much into, but um, what we saw in the series was that being a pilot was all of Asuka's identity. And then um, there's these certain shots in this scene where Asuka's plug suit, which is like the symbol of that pilot identity, is cast aside. And maybe I'm just reading too much into that, but it felt like, her identity isn't just a pilot anymore. Oh, totally. 
Sorry, I lost where we were. Oh, Asuka back at uh, Kensuke's place. So we're back to slice of life stuff. I guess maybe Kensuke feels responsible for Shinji. Uh, is taking him along <laughs> to work. It's like bring your PTS buddy to work day or something. Yeah. I mean, Kensuke is not sitting him down and trying to, you know, give him therapy, but he is trying to like get his mind off of just staying in the doldrums or reliving that trauma over and over. Right. He's like, okay, if you come out with me and do something, it doesn't really matter what you do or tire yourself out physically, at least you'll be able to sleep tonight. Something like that, which seemed like a really smart thing to do in this dire situation where their resources are so limited. Yeah. Um, so there's this other thing that, again, I feel like it's significant, but it's meaning eludes me. Kensuke is monitoring a headless Ava. Uh, so it immediately makes me think of something that comes up in pagan traditions, uh, this concept of a headless god. Uh, it also comes up in a Ghibli movie, Princess Mononoke. Ah, yes. So what is the headless god? Uh, it's like power and deity with a certain aspect of itself removed. Oh. Uh, so at least in some pagan traditions, like the right of the headless god is an exercise in accessing a certain type of power for yourself, but without it being tied to uh, devotion or claiming yourself as an acolyte of something else, that it's not something greater than yourself. Oh. So it's a striking image. It felt like a really specific image to be popping up here. There's similar uh, imagery and symbolism, um, you know, in the climax of the film. So it's really hard to tell whether that would be intentional or not, but it seems like it fits. Yeah. And just even within Evangelion, we've seen, was it the giant apparition of Ray that uh, gets decapitated? I feel like it's happened a couple times. Oh, yeah, totally. The Vessel of the Atoms got decapitated last time. Mm. There's quite a bit of decapitation um, imagery in the series as well. There's the angel statue at the Lake of Ruin that Kawaru first He's like on the head where the missing head is the first time that uh, Shinji meets him and like, you know, kind of symbolizing him as as an angel right off the bat as this symbol of the will or divine ref or uh, uh, retribution, something like that. So would that suggest that maybe this is the same location? Oh, like it's the same statue. Yeah, That's kind of cool. 14 years later, maybe things are more green. Oh, a little bit of hope. That's kind of cool mm -hmm. because, yeah, back in the series, it was a real, like it said, Lake of Ruin, <laughs> real depressing spot to visit. Yeah. And I guess very specifically, like what Kensuke is also up to is uh, maintaining these beacons that keep the LCL away. What was it called again? The anti L system. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe that's the situation. I, I guess that would explain like why so much of the original cast is here too. Oh, that this is like a very close location to Tokyo 3. Sure. Like this may be the burnt out remnants of like the outskirts of Tokyo 3. Well, Village 3 were the, the, the beginning sequence, hour and a half recovery mm -hmm. daily happens. So, uh, my understanding was Village 3 was outside of Tokyo 3. Oh, it is called Village 3. Oh, there you yes. go. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. All That's right. exactly what it is. 
God, I do. I do like this slice of life section, probably the most out of anything in the film. Mm. The opening was pretty dazzling. And then I, I could have had the rest of the film just be this. <laughs> but eventually it has to end, but not before Ayanami, Ray has this interaction with Shinji mm. where Shinji names her, right? Because yeah. she's just called lookalike and she doesn't think she has a name. And then Shinji's like, oh, well, I mean, the person you look like is named Ray or Ayanami. Mm-hmm. So like, if you want, that can be your name. And in turn, she gives him back the player, the music, the MP3 thing, mm-hmm. right? I think it's a dad, isn't it? Remember yeah. those from back in back in the early thousands? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the difference between that and like an MP3 player? Digital audio tape. Yeah. yeah. A DAT player is an actual mini cassette. And uh, yeah, I used to have one in my recording studio days. Uh, but it's digital audio as opposed to... Yeah, like a Walkman is an analog tape. Uh, the DAT is a digital tape. It's like the difference between a VHS and beta. Oh. Uh, and for the younger viewers, like MP3s did come on a disc once upon a time at the very beginning. <laughs> anyway. Um... And then you wrote that. Ray expresses her three wills, and I do not remember this. So walk us through this. She, what she wanted to do, who she wanted to be, and where she wanted to be. This felt really significant to me. And again, I don't know if I'm just reaching, but she has this interaction with Toji's wife. She's explaining the significance of expressing good night, good morning, thank you, goodbye. And uh, Ray now knows, like she she can't exist outside of. submersion in LCL for very long and uh, she's going to expire Uh, and she's accepting this and she's sort of been just internalizing all this like these new ideas that she's been exposed to and starting to grasp like the significance of them and then I just wondered if like if this is why our movie is called Thrice Upon a Time like subtitled it feels like uh, a reference to uh, this Jesus story about um, Peter betraying Jesus three times and then Jesus talking to Peter after the resurrection to reconcile, asking Peter these three questions about his will. And then in this scene, we have Ayanami. She's saying her goodbye to Shinji and she's talking about like what she wished, like, like what she was like grateful for, wanting to like spend time with like the boy she cared about or like do these activities in this town again i could be reading too much into it but for me it translates into like what she wanted to do who she wanted to be with uh where she wanted to be Mm. and they're just such essentially human things this is part of our identity like belonging like who we want to be with the things we want to be uh doing and where we want to call home and she got to experience aspects of all of that and she got to express it some people would call it a life well lived, uh, but that was the end. This is actually probably my favorite part of this movie is uh, Ray's costumes. Mm. Um, so Ray in Village Three, Ray is given uh, or lookalike is given uh, a school uniform. It's unclear whether it's actually Ray Ayanami's mm-hmm. uniform or anything, but it is an iconic look for Ray. Sure. It's funny because it's an it's a stock uniform. All the students wear this, right? Mm-hmm. So something that is usually something that 
de-identifies us, like identifies as a student, but not as like an individual. For her, it's the first thing she gets to wear that isn't the plug suit, right? Mm -hmm. And then in this climactic scene where she bursts into LCL fluid, uh, her plug suit changes from black to white, Mm -hmm. which like the 09 and the black plug suit kind of let us know that, look, this is Ray, but this is about as far away from the Ray you know as we can get, right? Like zero to 10 scale, zero or nine. But then her, like you said, like life well lived, it turns to white at the end. It's cool because it symbolizes death, but it also like, yes, a life well lived. Look, she did something she wanted to do. She made a difference in Shinji's life. And it is a sad thing, but she kind of gets to end it on her terms, mm-hmm. uh, which is fucking beautiful to give your characters <laughs> agency in their own death. <sighs> You're making me emotional now. Yay! Okay, so we have our scene. Shinji is back and present again. Mm-hmm. They go to the hilltop, uh, and it feels like Columbus for the storm. Uh, so Shinji is there with Toji and Asuka. And they're seeing the ship get resupplied and all the non-essential people are getting offloaded. So they're getting ready for a big battle. Uh, the Wunder is getting all prepped. So yeah, Shinji's proclaiming he's ready to rejoin their efforts. So gosh, we still have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, see, like this, I loved this part of uh, that was all slice of life and calm and just, you know, talking about identity. And then when we go back to the action stuff, I'm like, oh, God, that's right. We have so much movie to get through. So, yeah, I guess at this point it's revealed that uh, the Wunder is a part of what Kaji did. We didn't really know what Kaji was up to during the first three movies. Uh, But Kaji uh, was the one who was able to seize the Wunder from uh, Kozo. Mm. We flash from this conversation too. Uh, Kozo talking and refers to Shinji as the third boy. What does that mean? Well, he's always been the third children. Asuka okay. is the first, or sorry, Asuka is the second, Ray's the first. Okay. And then Toji in the original arc is the fourth. Right. I guess Mari would be the fourth or fifth children in this. But, you know, we had talked with a previous guest about these not necessarily being a complete rebuild. It's a bit of a soft reboot, mm-hmm. more like revolutions of the cycle like you know the go in the impact being somewhat of a reset and then going back through everything again um so it you know kozo referring to shinji he could be talking about like well this is the third cycle we're witnessing Hmm. and then the other odd thing that's said about shinji we cut back to the wunder and uh, misato is talking to ritsuko and Ritsuko calls Shinji the boy provisionally named Shinji Ikari. Well, I will say, Alex, like your assessment, it makes sense in the context of Evangelion. Uh, but since I wasn't thinking about that, I was just like, is this the third clone of Shinji? Well, uh, you know, he I, I was watching it, rewatching it recently, and I realized, you know, his dad, his his separation from his wife, you know, because of her death, uh, his trauma, his distance, you know. And then if you look at the character physically, like I was like, oh, you know, Gendo is basically the same person as Shinji, you know. So really, I mean, you almost have to wonder at that. Well, it does have a flashback where it shows Shinji's birth. Mm-hmm. So he can't be a clone. But at the same time, in so many ways, especially when it gets to like Gendo's flashback, 
Like he is almost exactly the same person as Gendo. Hmm. Right. And like, you know, fucking Anno, maybe he's a little afraid that he'll become his father. Or maybe he's afraid that he'll become Miyazaki, who is a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> man, but a terrible, terrible boss. Oh, my gosh. This has really stirred my imagination. Oh, good. I'm thinking like, so if Shinji's a clone, the third clone, what if Shinji was a clone from the very beginning? Like a lot of people didn't make it during the second impact, you know, like Misato's father. So many people were lost. What if Gendo's son was killed and just like not being able to let go of his wife, like recreated his son and maybe that's why he's so distant. Well, I mean, they do talk about why he's distant from Shinji. Yeah. But like, it would and, make... I mean, they are almost the same person. He, he's even obsessed with piano and he has a cassette player as mm-hmm. well, you know, and then he distances himself from pain, just like his son. So it's, it's really hard to tell. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes unspoken in it. And yeah. that really might be something that you hit on with the provisional naming. Gosh. I mean, it, it fits. It's just kind of weird and makes me feel sad. <laughs> Because, you know, like the, the clones that we see in this story, like it's not their fault. It sucks, like the type of existence they have to have. And I, I guess if I really read into it, like, could that have been part of Anno's struggle? Like when we think of a clone, we think of someone who's like less human. I don't know. I'm just speculating about so much now. It's definitely a tangent to go off on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So thank you for indulging me. Uh, and then at this point, we get the title card for our movie. <laughs> <laughs> Dick move. <laughs> great. Classic Evangelion. So Mari is cutting Asuka's hair. Mm-hmm. Very intimate. Super cute. Yeah, you have this note about maybe Mari and Asuka have become lovers. And I like that angle a lot more than I don't. Kensuke can be gay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I just didn't see any evidence towards that. But like Asuka not being interested or being bisexual or gay, totally see evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this scene, it's it's endearing. I, I think I felt it like it was endearing. And it's fun just to see Mari sort of like giving Asuka some shit. <laughs> and Asuka just takes it. <laughs> then uh, Gendo and Kozo, their ships take flight. Yeah, there's a lot of cutting of back back and forth uh, leading up to our big fight scene. We get more flashbacks. Misato is remembering what Kaji was doing uh, during the third impact. We cut to like the lower decks, if you will. Uh, just some nameless flight crew on the ship. Some red shirts. Mm-hmm. And then they're all wearing the blue bandanas. What are, what are these blue bandanas about? Crippin. <laughs> <laughs> Showing their gang colors, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I don't know. This shit all lost me. Uh, it meant something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's callbacks to the third impact. We get some real quick flashes of what the hell was happening. It feels very apocalyptic. Like the skies turned red and like blood is raining from the skies. It's raining skulls. Uh, there's a scene that felt a lot like Cowboy Bebop to me. Kaji was saying his farewell to uh, Misato. And then again, we get the scene which feels really fan y But again, when I think about it, it felt significant. Uh, you know, like they talk about being coming into the world naked. Uh, then when you're being prepped for burial, like 
you don't die naked necessarily, but your departure rather. And I don't remember precisely what it was about how they were preparing with their plug suits, but it reminded me of uh, the funerary funerary rites uh, in the Shinto tradition. So I guess just that's the vibe I was getting from it. They were preparing for the end. But of course, you know, it is sexualized. They're in zero G and there's these cute anime girls in skin tight suits floating around, (laughs) bumping against each other. Yep. So confession time. Shinji goes to talk to Asuka. There's something in the background that just, they don't really focus on it much, but there's C4 charges placed on the quarters of the pilots. Hmm. And I guess it's like, they're just really that disposable. If they step out of line, they'll just push the button and get rid of these kids. Anyway, Shinji goes to talk to Asuka. It felt like apologizing for what we saw in the end of Evangelion movie. Maybe there's something in the series or one of the previous movies that I, I missed, but I didn't help you. You know, he's just, it's like the power apology. He's saying what he did wrong, how it affected her and how he's changed. So it doesn't happen again. And then Asuka reciprocates and she says she had a crush on Shinji. Holy shit. Who didn't? <laughs> I thought, you know, that's pretty vulnerable for Asuka to go there. Mm-hmm. And they seem okay with each other at this point. And I think, I don't remember precisely, I think she does drop another idiot Shinji, but it feels more like a friendly punch on the shoulder. Like that's her nickname for him, not like she's yeah. actually insulting him. Yeah. Sure. Which I'm all for. <laughs> Team Asuka yeah. all the way. Again, it felt really endearing to me. Maybe I'm just a sucker, but uh, I did like the scene. <laughs> and then Kawaru. Um, was this a, a flashback or are we seeing like the spirit of Kawaru talking? Yeah, this is a memory, right? Uh, Shinji was talking about not knowing what the right thing to do was. Kawaru was trying to encourage him. And it's like, like there's certain things that guide you. Um, like the ties that bind your relationships will show you like the way, like what's right which I guess that'll become important later. That's the most sense I can make out of this. Okay. I think we're on to the action now. Oh yeah. yeah. So this is all, this is all you. I, I lost everything. Sure. I, okay. My eyes glazed over when it was, it, it was beautiful. It's all absolutely gorgeous. There's so much action mm. and I'm trying to be like, what does that symbolize? Because there's a lot of stuff the like, merging of units and angels especially the uh the mari thing where she merges with like all the avas she's like i am all the jedi um but not like that though no not like that <laughs> um but uh you know it was a lot cooler than a star wars film but it just was an exceedingly long action beat so i might have a different take on this than everyone else this was absolutely like huge sensory overload uh, my first thought was that, you know, Anno did make a name for himself with like really stunning uh, action choreography. And it felt like, well, if we're done with Evangelion, let's go out with a bang and let's do, mm-hmm. let's choreograph the most dazzling stuff ever. And uh, this sequence felt like a series of homage to a lot of uh, preceding anime. So the musical cues changed several times in this sequence. And the first one feels very much like 
the early 70s, like super robot animes, Mazinger Z, uh, Grandizer, Star Avengers, all that stuff. And then, uh, gosh, there's so much stuff that the meaning is probably lost on me. The different battleships. Uh, my German is not good, so I'm going to butcher this. Erbsunde, Gebet, Erielsung. I think I think that's spot on. Okay. Yeah, they mean original sin, prayer, and salvation. You know, there's the sort of commercial depiction of angels, but like the biblically accurate depiction of angels is monstrous. They're like multi-winged and eyeballs just covering themselves. And then that was my impression of these ships. They're like so Frankenstein with repurposed Avas. They look like these multi-winged, multi-eyed things. Uh, so it feels kind of apocalyptic to me, like these three battleships with like these sort of cosmic divine meanings coming for judgment, I guess, on Gendo or something. I don't know. But the the action beats here, uh, again, it feels like the checklist of like classic anime stuff. So the musical cue changes again, uh, and it's very much sort of like Gundam Macross. Mm-hmm. We see... Uh, yeah, we see Mari and Asuka's mechs. They have all the donnings of like the things that really excited fans about like Gundam and Macross. So I think it's Mari's Ava has like the heavy armor stuff, sort of like Rick Hunter's his Valkyrie when he went to go take on the Zentradi. It had like the heavy armor with all the missiles and shit. <clears throat> um, and then Asuka's Ava is outfitted for I can't remember which iteration of Gundam it was that had like the heavy armor. Oh, Alicia, do you know this? I don't know this, but I wanted to say in terms of the musical cues, because mm. there are a lot of them in this movie that I picked out. Yeah. And uh, the music that starts playing is uh, actually from Battle of the Planets. <gasps> they went Whoa. that deep. No they threw way. that directly. Yeah. 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 So when you say it had that old school <laughs> oh anime vibe, God. that's what you're sensing. That's what you're hearing. I just got so, goosebumps. <laughs> that's, that's super nerddom right there. That's awesome. The Gundam that I would say it reminds me of is Zeta Zeta. Hmm. It looks like a Zeta, but with just like extra armor plating, extra boosters, extra mm-hmm. missiles, extra fucking everything. Yeah, that's probably better. I was starting to think Gundam Thunderbolt, but that's not right. I think double Zeta. And that would fit better into the timeline. Uh, I do enjoy the um, Chekhov's spare Ava parts, you know, because we, at the beginning, we find the Ava parts and you're like, we're going to build whole new Avas. And then when they come out, they're like, we found a lot of Ava parts. So like, (laughs) it's not just brand new Avas, like every piece of optional gear you could have, they have it. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, Anno is honoring this like storytelling thing, you know, like you show a gun in the first scene, like you have to use it. Some movies like fail on that regard. Like what was that Zack Snyder zombie thing? Whatever. It sucked. Army of the Dead? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'll never get that time back. All right. So back to Ava. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just continuing through the different homages, we get to like the drone swarms. And it's just like even like just the spare arms of Ava's have been turned into like drone weaponry. That sort of reminds me of something from uh, uh, Kitsu Monogatari but uh, that might actually take us too far into anime history. So then we get to our our next beat. Asuka reaches Unit 13, the God Ava. Which is the one that 
Kawaru and uh, Shinji had piloted previously, right? Yeah. So this is interesting. Unit two will not harm unit 13. Hmm. It is Asuka's, her unit two's own AT field that is blocking her intended assault. Which, since it's all been a plan by Gendo from the beginning to cause instrumentality, might have been a safeguard. Yeah, okay. There we are. And then Asuka's response is really crazy and like body horror. She removes her eye patch. And then this thing starts coming out. And my first impression was that it looked kind of like the capsule that carries the pilots in Ava's. And I was like, oh my God, is there some like mini angel in like a plug capsule inside Asuka's head? <laughs> but I, I guess it was one of those anti-L systems. So when we saw Asuka get damaged, what, two movies ago now? Like this is what it was that, that the angel that took over her unit uh, got inside her and she had to have this anti-L system device implanted in her to make sure that that angel's always stayed suppressed. It is the ninth angel. It's still alive inside of her. Yeah. And uh, actually, during the conversation with her and Mari earlier, during the haircutting thing, you can actually see it glowing a little bit for one second under her eye patch. Oh, wow. So remind the audience, and totally not me, because I don't know. Sure, even sure. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's with the angel nine? Which one was that? Yeah, so in movie two, instead of it being Toji piloting, the new Ava, they put Oh, Asuka. okay, it's Bardiel, the one that mm -hmm. takes over Unit 03, mm -hmm. right? Okay, cool, cool, yeah. thank you. But here we are, like Asuka, maybe she's like made peace with it in some way, but she pulls out this implant uh, to release the ninth angel. So is it like the devil's bargain? She's like, I can't hurt this thing for some reason, mm -hmm. but if it's not me mm. attacking it, maybe it'll work? Yeah. And maybe that's because it's a safeguard. Maybe okay. maybe Gendo put that safeguard in place yeah. and that's mm -hmm. the way around it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very clever of her. But so this goes crazy. The unit two, I guess when it's overtaken by the ninth angel, it doubles in size. It becomes this like Goliath Ava. But sadly, that's still not enough. Maybe it's Asuka's action that, that awakens the god Ava. Uh, but it, mm. it makes... Uh, short work of the unit two angel nine so we we cut from like the ground scene to what's happening in the space above one of kozo's battleships pierces the wunder now can i interject something at this sure. point mm -hmm. the, this action scene is so elaborate it's it's sensory overload i mean yeah. it, it's no wonder people have a hard time keeping up with you know, the actual exposition going on. Um, when the wonders pierced and you see the broken glass flying everywhere, mm -hmm. that was actually real broken glass. They filmed in the studio <gasps> and superimposed. Additionally, um, the sparks, um, when one of the Eva's arms are ripped off, uh -huh. I think I think it's unit two, uh, when the arms are ripped off, those are real sparks that they filmed as well. <laughs> That's amazing. And when you said earlier that maybe... Hideki Anno was afraid of turning into Miyazaki because he's such a such a, a, a workhorse, you know. Um, another thing that he required of his animation staff for the completion of this battle scene was he made them all skydive. What? Talk <laughs> about being an awesome boss. Be like, hey, everybody, we're taking the day to skydive. Um, they really put a lot of effort into it that uh, kind of 
blurs the lines between what's real and uh, you know what's actually animation. Right. So that does bring us to something that I actually skipped over. Um, I mean, my anime uh, consumption is limited, so I felt like there was a lot of things that were referential, but they just were lost on me. Uh, but that some of it did feel like a uh, reference to video game stuff, like the descent, a lot of it felt like, you know, those bullet hell video games. Uh, so I don't know if there, mm. there was an anime that was like incorporated that aspect into itself or not. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind for me is uh, Macross, like just the way they did the uh, missile animations, how they would do like the cluster mm. things and they just have crazy. Ugh. It was so elaborate. It. Yeah. It's oh one my of my God. favorite things ever. It has a specific name. I can't remember, but anyways, you know, that, yeah. That blew my mind when I saw it. I think the first time I saw that, I, I grew up on Robotech in the 80s, mm. and there used to be a little pizza place near me that had an arcade, and uh, it, it was a repurposed showbiz pizza or Chuck E. Cheese's, <laughs> yeah. but they took out the animatronics and just concentrated on making it dark, painted the walls black. They had an arcade. They had a video jukebox, which was cutting edge for the 80s wow. with TVs to the whole establishment. And the local nerds used to bring in a projector and bring in reels of animes. Oh. And I remember when I first saw, you know, Macris there on like a random Sunday afternoon, it was just mind blowing. They actually showed Harlock there too. No, you know? that's great. <laughs> I mean, I think anyone that's like really, really knows their anime history, this must have been such a delight. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when Akozo's ships pierces the Vunder and like this blue angel blood starts to flood the ship and takes over the Vunder. And I was like, is this a type of angel attack? It felt familiar. But uh, I, I guess the idea was that Kozo was trying to reclaim his ship. So things get a little metaphysical at this point. Well, I guess they have been for a while now. <laughs> for 26 yeah. years, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so Kozo's drones, they're very effective. They literally disarm Mari's Unit 8. Asuka sees an apparition version of herself. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea is that it's the original Asuka. And the Asuka we've been seeing is a clone. It's Asuka too, And... Was it a suicide thing? Like, is that how Asuka 2 was trying to eliminate Asuka 1? Someone help me out. You know, I'm not sure. I'm a little bit lost because at this point we have more doppelgangers than fucking Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent show. I wonder if David Lynch ever watched Evangelion. Oh, gosh, please, yes. I think he'd be super into it. I think people would be like, what did you think of the plot? And he's like, the plot doesn't matter. This is all vibes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the Asuka that we've been seeing, she sees this apparition of herself as one of Gendo's, an enemy. She has her collar, so she's going to try to eliminate this threat by taking them both out. Mm -hmm. But the apparition Asuka, she's got some kind of powers. They teleport or dematerialize out of there, and Asuka's efforts are thwarted, and it destroys uh, the Unit 2 Angel 9 hybrid. Mm. At any rate, like there's still a crisis on the Wunder. It's being hacked. They have to abandon, like all hands have to get into these escape capsules. And then whoever survives, I, I, I'm not sure what's happening. I don't know if there's like real space that they've landed on or if we're now entering some kind of like spiritual, not quite instrumentality plane. But Ritsuko, uh, most of her bridge crew are there. Uh, and then Gendo descends. Mm -hmm. 
Ritsuko has her firearm and shoots Gendo in the head. Awesome. And we think that's the end of Gendo. It seems like a really bold move, but Gendo is not dead. And he just leans over and scoops up the brains that got blown out (laughs) and puts them back in his head. So he is not human. (laughs) This Gendo is another angel or Gendo has done his merger thing with Adam and it's like fully actualized in that way now, Mm -hmm. but he looks like a shell and there's like energy inside of him and his voice is weird. (laughs) Oh yeah. And then he starts monologuing about some crazy cosmic stuff. The second impact purified the oceans. The third impact purified the earth. The force is going to purify souls. It doesn't really sound like, they're not consenting to that. <laughs> no. That will be a violation. Very patriarchal. Yes. So patriarchal is very the key here. So as Gendo is doing his monologue, they're sort of articulating the different views that Gendo is in favor of a certain natural order, like subservience to mm-hmm. this kind of authority, which conveniently he's going to be at the head out of. Right. Um, Misato is expressing that they're rejecting this, whatever system is supposed to be, they reject that. They believe in humanity. Love it. Uh, The imagery as Gendo is monologuing sort of suggests that his four ships, like he had the three and then the fourth that he's reclaimed, they are his four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm. And then Gendo ascends. He merges with unit one and is off to go do his thing. He gets his wish. He's finally back with Yui, Mm -hmm. uh, also against her will. So meanwhile, back on Earth, I guess, things are going really badly. Uh, Fortunately, these um, anti-L systems that they've set up are preserving Village 3 or the credit camp, whatever. So they're hanging on by a thread. Mari is just doing her own thing and cannibalizing other Avas and love it. Growing new parts. Uh, she eats Mark 9 and gets an arm back. Misato's bridge crew are sort of having a crisis and panicking. And one of the girls gets it in her head that if she shoots Shinji, everything will be okay. And Misato's like, no, no, no. And Misato takes a bullet and it feels very reminiscent of like the climax of the Evangelion series, but it feels a little better to me uh, because there was a lot of very questionable stuff (laughs) earlier. Because Misato doesn't kiss a 14 year old. (laughs) It's (laughs) it's a lot better. Yes. Um, And the words that are exchanged, they feel more appropriate for the the context it's maybe like a role reversal shinji is telling misato hey i met your son and he's okay he's a good kid Mm -hmm. you know probably the best thing that she could have heard like if she's like breathing her last breath like shinji's grown up too yeah so then mari having like reconstituted some limbs shows up to ferry shinji on his mission to stop gendo to stop the father uh, so the two of them depart to the anti-universe. Can't remember if they specifically say that in the show. Uh, I think that's what I extracted from the wiki. Mm-hmm. And it seems like saying Ayanami is the magic word that opens the gate. 
And then Mari sort of echoes what she said at the opening scene of the movie, uh, vowing to find Shinji. Like, no matter where he is, she'll be able to find him. Oh, gosh. I'm getting him a little emotional. Like, that meant nothing to me when it first happened. But knowing how it ends now, uh, it feels really special. And we can see if that's special for everybody else later. <laughs> okay, so Shinji switches places with Ray uh-huh. uh, and transforms this Unit 2 Angel 9 into another Unit 2. Mm-hmm. It's a little strange to me. And then he creates an, a different spear, right? Mm-hmm. And Kawaru had said in the previous film, like, these aren't the spears we're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. And this one is the Spear of Cassius. Mm-hmm. And the other ones are the Spear of Longinus. Well, there is a Cassius Longinus mm-hmm. uh, uh, who is a Roman senator. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, part of the ploy to assassinate Caesar. Yeah. So the other big reveal here is the original Ayanami is there to receive them on the other side. She's been there for what, 14 years? She's got long blue hair. But it is weird to think of her as like the original Ayanami, the first Ayanami, because is a clone an original. And again, like maybe Alicia, you can expand on this. Like I know nothing about these like parallel reality theories but like one thing that i heard was that this ayanami that we're seeing is the ayanami from the series i wouldn't doubt that that was the impression that i got there's Mm -hmm. no real evidence that i can see to support it you know there are the 37 timelines when i tried to take apart the uh montage at the end i actually found that you know even though a lot of it um particularly the schoolroom is like referenced and other stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like the manga, there really isn't anything that's out of context for the rebuilds, except for, you know, coming up on the end, they do project a big sequence um, from end of Evangelion in the background. Mm. I think, I think that was this part when he's meeting Ayanami and uh, it it actually projects uh, a sequence from end of Evangelion uh, in the background. That's right. That would probably be where you're getting that inference Mm. from. Um, It's just directly there, Mm. you know. That is one of the things that made me think about the alternate timelines there. But then, I mean, it's all part of the same thing, you know, like um, Koru talking about cycles, everything repeats, you know, which Mm. would explain all of the different timelines. Whether that actually has anything to do with the plot or whether it's more thematic, Mm. More, more the fact that, you know, Hideki Anno has been invested in all of this for 26 years in, in various ways, and he just needs to close it off and bookend everything. You know, that's really largely left up to interpretation. Mm. But I, I think it's a safe bet to say that that's the, uh, like, Ray um, from, you know, the original series, End of Evangelion. Yeah. So this, this scene, the meta battle, it's really beautiful. The two Avas are fighting in Tokyo 3, but it's fake. It's like a stage set. In reference to the uh, original uh, uh, Ultramans, you know, that were a huge influence on Mm -hmm. um, Hideki. Um, The moving buildings, you know, especially appearing to be made out of cardboard. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of stuff in this sequence, actually, especially the walls falling down and showing that they're in a studio, um, is to... Give that impression, I mean, quite obviously, of the blurring of lines, you know, Mm. between uh, reality and the fact that it's all in some way staged in the anti-universe. I mean, we are coming up on the uh, imaginary Eva as well. Mm -hmm. 
one thought that I had about that when I learned about all of the production and everything, like the breaking glass in the studio, the skydiving, the real sparks, you know, um, taking the real world influences, you know, is that in a very real way for Hideki, all of these things were blurred together, his fiction and his reality, what he was trying to express of himself and the medium through which he's expressing it. And I think that's something, you know, he's wearing on his sleeve with this sequence where reality is starting to fall apart. Mm. Because, I mean, the method of, of making this whole thing, you know, is definitely surreal. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure in numerous ways, the lines were blurred for him as well as, uh, you know, the rest of the staff who worked on it. Yeah. The artistic imagery is, is making more sense to me now. We've enjoyed years of Evangelion now, but what, what matters? What is of, of substance? Um, Gendo is monologuing this whole time about all these things that don't matter, like Shinji's strength and like these combat skills, like none of that matters because it's the matrix, right? It's the will that matters. So he's kind of giving it away how Shinji is going to persevere. As they go through all the mock scenes, they end up at Kawaru's piano, and then Shinji remembers those words, like, remember the ties that bind. We pause on that, but where we're going is that Shinji's going to change the game. It's not going to be a mech fight. We're going to go take Gendo onto the train and go through his childhood and stuff like that. And that's where the mm. real battle is going to take place. Uh, Interesting. But uh, before we get there, we cut back to... <laughs> Misato's scheme, and I really do not understand this. Misato has reclaimed the Wunder. Like, whatever Kozo's junk is, is gone. Uh, they're going to merge it with human will? Now, is she just, is that just a figure of speech? Because, like, she's giving a pep talk, and, you know, we get the classic, like, you know, Japan, work hard and solve a problem music, you know, and they're fixing the ship, and they're going to create the Spear of Gaius. Mm -hmm. Is that the idea? Like our teamwork? There's a Japanese word for that that's escaping me at the moment. But that's that intention or that spirit and drive. That's what's going to go into this thing, the Wunder, to, be, to become the Spear of Gaius. That's, that's about the sense that I could make out of it. Well, I, I think that it's, you know, metaphoric, but also the show is just full of symbolism yeah. anyway. I think they're being somewhat literal because it, you know, borders on um, the instrumentality that's about to happen, mm -hmm. you know, um, being able to shape reality itself through like a gestalt consciousness. Mm. You know, they're saying that quite literally at that point because they're kind of on the verge of a singularity throughout the whole thing. You know, they have to prevent pilots from deification, you know, mm -hmm. and, and either, you know, fusing with or becoming angels and you sure. know, prevent that. And that's, that's really the methodology behind human instrumentality project. Okay. So the sort of end of Gendo's monologue before we get into the new battlefield, he's talking about the real significance of Ava imaginary. Uh, and this is where we get into some ideology that I recognize from paganism, that imagination is this cosmic force. Uh, this is the power that can transmute reality evolve humanity uh okay consent is still important though <laughs> so we cut from that to what has mari been doing this whole time she's going to go see kozo kozo talks about her real name mari is mary iscariot which is a reference to judas iscariot 
Right. There's a couple different ways to take that. Uh, the mainstream idea would be that Mari is somehow like a betrayer. But if you want to go with a deep cut, then Mari would be the catalyst for the passion, the crucifixion or whatever. Mm. There's there's also something we missed a moment ago during sure. the Gendo flashbacks, sure. which is uh, it does show uh, Mari um, as being a college friend of Gendo's <gasps> and uh, uh, shows her being being present at Shinji's birth. And uh, so it, it strongly suggests that she is also a clone of somebody that Gendo was close to. Weird. Oh, my God. I totally missed that. A weird thing to do right at the end here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, I mean, I do like the latter theory about why they would want to drop that she's Mary Iscariot. Uh, I mean, I guess I do kind of like the idea of her being used to, like, push Shinji into acting. See, I always got the impression that what was pushing him was, um, you know, the the impetus of Ray being the passive and Asuka being the active, you know, two different polarities of personality. Mm. And uh, I always had the impression that Gendo was setting it up for this final conflict, setting everything up the whole way by, you know, ignoring him, you know, withholding, withholding affection. Every step of the way, it's been to manipulate Unit 1 into the battle against Unit 13, you know, because, you know, Gendo and Shinji themselves are two polarities, you know? Yeah that have to face off. If you're going to go back into the whole idea of paganism, I think that idea of the the, the dueling opposites is something there. Mm. During the flashback, I, I feel like, you know, Gendo loses Yui um, and cuts himself off from emotion. I feel like Mari might've been somebody that he could have been affectionate towards, but blocked that out because of his loss. And, you know, it's just an interesting position that Mari occupies in this case, you know, with the whole Judas parable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think maybe she's a factor that's outside of Gendo's plan. Yeah. She basically does end up to some extent being the foil to Gendo's plan. You know, mm -hmm. Mari is about to do this thing where the Ava's all just start combining. Right. And it strikes me that the name Mary Iscariot is not just a reference to Judas Iscariot, but very clearly Mary. Right. Mm -hmm. Magdalene. Exactly. Jesus's wife mm -hmm. in apocryphal works, mm -hmm. but a, a follower of Jesus and a, uh, a a close confidant, a sex worker, right in mm -hmm. the act or the the accepted gospels. Mm -hmm. And so she may be a just like her Ava becomes this gestalt, you know, this uh, uh, synthesis organism. She may be a synthesis character archetype that she is both the betrayer of the plan but are the catalyst, but also, you know, the actual counterpart to Shinji because Shinji is very much a Jesus character in all of this, right? Oh, wow. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, so we're coming into the, the tail end of this. Yeah. Where are we? Are we yeah. to Masato sacrifice yet? Oh, or do we not? So, so, all right. So we go back to the, the mental plane. Uh, Shinji has, you know, taken Gendo to his past. Like, you know, Gendo was expecting to merge and ascend and be uh, unified with Yui. There's no Yui. It's just all Rei. Mm -hmm. It was just all for nothing. Like Gendo is internally defeated. So maybe that's the opportunity that allows Shinji to just be able to take control of this situation. So we go into Gendo's childhood. We see that the Dat player, this is why it's so important. This is Gendo's way of escaping. This childhood sucked. 
it is like characterized by pain and heartbreak. And initially it's music that was his sanctuary. But then we see that like Yui becomes the thing that brings him back to life. So I think we pause there Mm -hmm. and we get another musical montage. This is like the giant ray in the eyeball. And Misato has transformed the Wunder into the spear of Gaius. So this is like the incarnation of human will, I guess, or spirit and determination. I'm so mad at myself that I can't remember the Japanese word for that. But it pierces the eye of this like God thing. And then Gendo is dead. It's, it's, Does anybody die? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it all started to feel like the end of like uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. That was mm. actually an influence. Okay. Yeah. Mm. All right. Totally makes sense. And then we get these familiar lines, like, what do you wish for? This time it's the voice of Kawaru, but it's different this time. Like Shinji doesn't need to escape anymore. Maybe what he experienced at Village 3 with Ray was what the missing piece was. Maybe the reconciliation that he had with Asuka was another one of the missing pieces. But Shinji doesn't have to escape pain and heartbreak anymore. He doesn't need the Dat player. Uh, Mm. And there's this new will that emerges and it's like a selfless will. It's like, so here's, he's in the, the eye of the storm, like at the center of instrumentality now, and he could exercise what Gendo was talking about, like this imagination to reshape reality and also equipped with the spear of Gaius, the sum total incarnation of human will, spirit determination he could do something very self-serving, but he doesn't. He's like, like, what do you wish for? Well, I wish to save Asuka. Best thing. Oh my gosh. I started to feel the feels. Like we really could have just stayed at this real abstract, like interpretive thing, but it just goes to this real concrete thing instead. And it's a hard turn from what we're used to with Evangelion. And like, I guess I appreciate this type of alternative. Um, maybe it's you know, big Hollywood blockbuster type of a climax we're getting, but it feels good. And I feel like they earned it too. I don't, I don't feel like it was just as arbitrary, like, well, this is what the audience wants. You know, when Shinji goes through and forgives everyone and talks about his issues with them, you know, what, what we're getting is closure. Everybody's finally dealing with these issues, you yeah. know, that have contributed to this entire clusterfuck, you know, yeah. we're, we're finally getting emotional closure on every single thread. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that it was that, that act of reflection and forgiveness and compassion that is the actual catalyst for the resolution is incredible, yeah. you know? But I mean, I really feel like the whole thing has kind of been an emotional journey for Hidekiano. Um, mm. You know, it's it's just a, a canvas of personal experience. And in order to wrap it up, you know, he needed to uh, <clears throat> reach that level of closure with every, you know, character. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know, but I feel like Ano probably did some really effective, like emotional work for himself, uh, because what we see play out here is a lot of stuff that I've seen in like real world trauma processing. Uh, Alicia, you talked about like, we're getting closure for everybody. So Shinji goes to Asuka, right? And where is she? She's in her own private hell of pain and heartbreak. What does Shinji do? It's like descending into like her sort of mental underworld and equipped with these new tools. He's just rewriting 
her pain and heartbreak. <laughs> like he helps her resolve all the past trauma. She's like born again, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then Shinji goes to Kawaru. It's revealed that's this interesting thing. The way that they put it is the intermediary between human and divine. In like Gnostic traditions, that's how they sort of characterize what the Holy Spirit was. And it's like, oh, Kawaru was serving this totally different role that maybe Gendo intended. Whatever the case, Kawaru was disposable and also was in some limbo or something. And Shinji also helps Kawaru. And again, we see the same thing happen again. Uh, Shinji goes to Ayanami. Oh my gosh, that makes me feel stuff. We still have to actually resolve like the cosmos though. (laughs) Shinji's will is to create a new world without angels and avas. Uh, This feels like Anno's statement to us, (laughs) the fans of the anime industry. Like, I'm done with Evangelion now. I created Evangelion to work through my own private hell of pain and heartbreak, and I'm better now, and I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to be born again, and I'm starting this new world, this new life that doesn't have angels and avas anymore. I'm like, oh my God, I wish that for everybody. And then, you know, a call back to the series uh, expressing to Ayanami, like, you don't have to pilot again, which was like the, the will that she was expressing for Shinji before he was resolved, right? It's interesting. So we're saying goodbye to all Evangelions. That old universe degrades, literally degrading into like the storyboards of art and animation. Like this whole anime universe is like deconstructing. Uh, and then Shinji is just going to stay there and be deconstructed and like not be a part of like the new world that he's birthing or creating. And here we are, like, this is the resolution to Mari's line at the beginning and what she doubled down on at our climax. All right. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. Uh, she descends into the deconstruction to save the savior. Shinji was going to sacrifice himself for his friends. Like that was his will. And he was just ready to pay the price for that. But there was no one to save him except Mari. Mari goes to save him. Mm -hmm. I had a suspicion that like this was another one of Anno's archetypes that maybe has been missing this whole time that like he needed the savior for himself. You know, going back to the whole Judas Iscariot Mm -hmm. parallel, you know, preventing the self-sacrifice. Yes, I love it. <laughs> and um, we, we go from this to this really happy scene. We go to the train station that exists in real world Japan. It's in Ano's hometown. And there's Shinji. They're not on the train anymore. They're on the platform. They're out of it. They've exited. They're done. And Mari is there in Shinji's life. And they exchange their funny, cute words. We see just briefly in the background that Rei and Kawaru are just there doing mundane, everyday life things. They're not piloting Avas. They are also just moving on with life. Uh, We pan out and Mari and Shinji are grown up too. They're adults. (laughs) Like these four movies, we've seen them stuck in time. They're still child soldiers and it's done. It's over. And, you know, Shinji's in a suit and under the collar of the suit (laughs) is his DSS collar, (laughs) which is he wearing it for remembrance or is there still a reason to prevent him from deification? Are they saying it might not be over? Maybe the struggle's never over. Well, hold on. What happens to that collar? Uh, I forgot. 
Mari leans over and takes it off. Oh, yeah. And then she okay. twirls it and then discards it. And then like she extends her hand, another callback to the original series. And Shinji says, let's get out of here. And then this awesome song by uh, Utada Hikaru starts playing. Oh, my gosh. Is that really? Mm-hmm. And they're free. That's how we, it ends. The, the uh, drone camera footage. This is like live footage of Hiyakiyano's hometown. And we see these just these two people running free. And I love it so fucking much. That's it. That's how I'm ending my coverage of Evangelion. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. So this was definitely not my favorite Evangelion thing. I've stated over and over in this podcast. You don't need to hear me again. I thought that the action and the the climax just really dragged, especially after watching, you know, so many hours of these rebuild movies. Yeah. But on a whole, it is a wonderful project among re rebuilds and reimaginings and all that stuff. I think it's pretty unique. It's not like a lot of other reboots or even soft reboots mm-hmm. in that everything it chooses to do along with other reboots or against other reboots, they all have these meta commentary qualities mm. to them, which is very cool. Yeah. And that's kind of all I have to say. So why don't we give Alicia the final word? Yeah. How did you experience this as a whole? Any final thoughts? It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Ugly. Um, no, I think Blixa really, you know, tied everything up there. I can't really add any more to that. You know, it's a perfect denouement to the series. Perfect mm. bookend, you know. Yeah, and that's pretty much all there is to it. It's over. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. For, for better or for worse, it is over. No, that's wonderful. You know, there's a lot of big name stories that don't end well some of them that don't end yeah i'm sure the anime community does not agree on how evangelion <laughs> ended but i enjoyed it oh my god this whole time i've just been imagining somebody listening to this podcast going no you're wrong you idiot oh yeah <laughs> but that's just how they are <laughs> yeah so alicia if some of our listeners enjoyed this ride uh what would you recommend them to watch as a follow-up i mean lane Okay. If they haven't seen Lane, everyone's seen Lane, but you got to watch Lane. Serial experiments. And you don't seem to. Yep, exactly. Ooh. Now, I've seen some YouTubers describe it as impenetrable. I mean, that's the good part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really isn't, though. And there's definitely just so much biblical subtext, probably in a large way, more than an Evangelion. And oh, wow. Evangelion, it seems like very superficial i mean we got into some deep stuff tonight but you know just a lot of the naming and the angels and the tree of life really didn't have any bearing on the series at all Mm -hmm. except to give it you know a a biblical scope Mm -hmm. whereas uh in serial experiments lane you'll see a lot of definite references to gnosticism uh secret societies uh dealing with mathematics and you know all kinds of crazy stuff really and it's all you know in the context of like kind of a a bizarre surreal techno thriller for fans of evangelion i would definitely recommend it it's uh visually stunning enough you know it's got a good soundtrack it's zippy so uh, i'm sure you know uh, i've been able to watch it all the way through all 13 episodes probably like 50 times now so oh wow yeah, um, Lane has come up on the podcast several times, and we, we have discussed it as a possibility for coverage. It's one of Ben's favorite series. Mm. 
I will say I've, I've been intimidated. I have tried to watch it and I felt really lost really quickly. Uh, but it's probably something I could do as a group effort. Alicia, thank you so much for hanging with us. Thank you guys for having me. It's been so much fun. Yeah. It was really great bouncing ideas around. Okay, Blixen, take it away. Pen. Pen. House. Mari. Mari. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. 